Welcome to Everything Imaginable, the podcast for curious minds from KGRA Radio. And here is your host, Gary Cochileo. Welcome everyone to another episode of Everything Imaginable. I am your host, Gary Cochilillo. And before we get started, I would like to thank my contributors, uh, executive producer Candice Sanderson, senior editor Amanda Steele, and production engineer Damien Keller. And if you are interested in becoming a contributor for the show that helps support it, if you like it and want to contribute, you can go to my website, Everything Imaginable. 2020.com and click on the contributor link and you'll find all the information you need there. And now, without further ado, we have the return of the demon hunter himself, Nathan Gillis. Thanks for coming on, man. Thanks for having me back. I like that. The demon hunter sounds me like sounds like I'm like the other side of Daryl Sims, right? I'm not the alien <laughs> hunter. I'm the demon hunter. So that'll work, man. That'll work for me. <laughs> well, you're the only guy I know that's going out there hunting down demons. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what. Hopefully, there's more of me out there. We need them. Yes. Would you ever use consider using like a crossbow with a uh, holy water? Yeah, but it would actually be made of like a cross, mm-hmm. right? Right, a real cross <clears throat> that holds water. Never. Yeah, sometimes it doesn't work though, and uh, I mean, in all honesty, that right. exorcistic right doesn't work a lot of times. So it's true, you know. You know, it's not all encompassing. So, um, the reason we're one of the things that we were talking about before the show that I wanted to start out with talk, discussing is uh, you've made a connection between UFOs, UFO abduction, and demonology. Now, those are topics that most people would not link together. Um, So I'm really curious to hear some of this new information that you have. Yeah, so in my research regarding demonology, I knew for sure we were dealing with a life form that was alien to what most demonologists would consider it to be. You know, like, so So my background as a demonologist, I, I grew up in Christianity, as many of you who've watched my shows know. And so um, I was taught that demons were fallen angels, or at the very least, the offspring of fallen angels. And yet, the more I researched, and the more I got out into the field and dealt with these entities, the more I realized that we were dealing with a life form that did not fit in the blueprint of what most demonology teaches. And uh, so it was at that point that I said, okay, maybe it's possible that we're dealing with something that people, t- people uh, labeled as demons, right? Mm-hmm. And so, so, you know, they would encounter something throughout history, they would not have a place to put it. And so they would just, they would what's called divinize it, they would divinize it, and they would say, okay, it's divine, okay. right? And then they would demonize it and say, yeah, but it's, it's semi-divine, but it has to be a demon. And so what I did in my research is uh, I encountered what are, what are called behavioral patterns throughout history that mirror strictly, it's very interesting to get mirrors, the modern UFO abduction phenomenon. Mm-hmm. And so, so a lot of times, like I, I had people that are ufologists that uh, I converse with, and one of the arguments is, well, you know, um, you know uh, what was it, a religious fundamentalism. Uh, should not have a, an effect on the ufology. And I say, that's fine. But what I found more often or not is 
that many ufologists have a misunderstanding, right, of what the real authentic demonologists believed these things to be. And so they project their own ignorance on religious fundamentalism in terms of, okay, this is what I believe they believe about this. Therefore, I'm going to right, judge them based upon what I believe they believe. And so what I'm going to say is this. Right. We have texts, diaries from Romans, soldiers, and I heard another researcher mention this the other day. And in their writings, they're conversing with their generals and admirals, and they say, okay, listen, there are flying shields traversing above our head right now were they flying shields i've seen those in some biblical paintings actually right right and so they were not flying shields but what happened was thousands of years later what used to be flying shields became flying saucers Right. Right. So what we cannot do is judge them based upon the language they used to describe their experience. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Yeah. And so that's why when we we kind of look at demonology versus UFO abduction phenomenon, we have to say, okay, we have to strip it from the dogma, obviously, and look at the data. And the data says that we are dealing with a conscious life form that in my uh, belief system where I'm at now in my work, I do believe that many of these were formerly human. Mm-hmm. We're dealing with consciousness. And that's my little, that's my introduction to it, I suppose. So with that theory, if they are human and they are spirit, yeah. then why do they need crafts? Or what are the crafts? Like, Are the crafts an, an embodiment of something else? Yes, absolutely. Uh, matter of fact, I've been just, pouring myself my research into this uh, study it's called beyond ufos it's done it's the science of consciousness in contact with non-human intelligence it's the very first from why i know the very first academic compendium of ufo abduction accounts now to answer that question it's very interesting number one there is a high percentage of ufo experience ufo abductees that say that once they got onto the craft, the craft itself was alive. Yes. Right? right. That that it that it was some kind of uh, consciousness or, that, organic, that had yeah. That, right, right. Mm-hmm. And so what's strange about that is the first time I encountered that idea was studying views of the afterlife in funerary texts in Mesopotamia. This is very cool, man. So the, one, of the, one of the really cool uh, texts, the earliest texts that mention the soul leaving the body after mm-hmm. death and existing, it's called the Katamua inscription. And in the Katamua inscription, it's, it's cool because Katamua is actually writing it himself. Yeah. And Katamua said that once I die, he said, my soul will exist and live in my stele. Now, for those that are not familiar, because I wasn't either, the stele to, to them was basically the gravestone to us in modernity. But it was metal. This okay. gets really cool. So they believe the earliest belief of the afterlife occurring or, or consciousness existing independent of the body was when they believe that at, after death, they can possess metal. See where I'm going with this? Okay, so so, yeah. so so the soul can 
transference of soul into a piece of metal is what right. we're talking about. Is that Merging right? metal with consciousness, my man. <clears throat> and when I read that, um, I just sat there for a good about 10 minutes trying to process the implications here, right? Because the implications are that they believe not that they believe that consciousness can merge with metal after bodily death. Now, that belief system that translated into what's called idolatry in Mesopotamia, where they would literally form metallic images of deceased mm-hmm. ancestors. And the consciousness of that dead ancestor would possess the metal. And that metal would oftentimes, this is, this is the mythology of it, but it would oftentimes become animated and converse with them. Now, there is an individual by the name of Irving Finkel. He has a, he has a little lecture on ghosts for those who are interested. It's on YouTube. But he mentions a time in history where demons originated. This is very cool. It says that uh, a blacksmith, a worker of metal, would, would, would use metal. He would mold it in an image of a being. And then he would take that idol, right? Because we went from the afterlife phenomenon, then possessing uh-huh. metal, consciousness with metal. Then he said he would take that metal, take the image, place it on the ground, and something would crawl out of the image and be conscious. Finkel said this. He's a curator of uh, Egyptology. Hmm. So that's where they said demons came from, right? My whole point is this, and this is a very foundational point, but I do believe many of these, these ships are conscious because I believe they have learned to merge their consciousness with metal. Okay. Yeah. So, so, ha- so, ha- that, <clears throat> so how does that tie into abduction? Well, it ties demonology into abduction. And more so than anything, it ties um, afterlife phenomena mm-hmm. with abduction. Like there are, there are some cases in here where we have abductees that are meeting people who've told them straight up, I used to be a human being. I died. And when I died, I, I evolved into this creature, this being. And now they're interacting with us who are still embodied, right? And so, so the, the, the contact between ufology, especially UFO abduction phenomenon, demonology, Mm-hmm. It's it's seen through the lens of af- the afterlife, right? It's seen by understanding that um, not only do these cases mirror demonic possession, which we'll get into that, uh, but they very much are about the afterlife, right? right? Consciousness existing out of the body and coming back to us to interact with us in a new state of existence. Mm-hmm. So that that's where I'm at right now. And I'll stop rambling. Well, with that, you know, one of the things that just comes to my mind, so I recently interviewed somebody who is an abductee, and he had some implants in him that they found on an x-ray. Those implants, if they are metal, are they infusing their own consciousness into the metal and then placing the metal into a human? Very good. Very good question. 
Okay, I do believe they are. And again, like I said before, biblical antiquity, they call these entities demons. We know them as aliens right now, but again, we can't limit ourselves to terminology. Now, let me say this. In biblical antiquity, uh, we have cases of idolatry where um, it was they're called teraphim, where the idolater would go and he would uh, murder somebody and uh, take their body, take a metallic piece. We would call them implants. Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, I'm telling you, it's crazy how much this is the same. He would take the metallic piece, small, and carve the name of an unclean spirit, Tumaru in Hebrew, and then he would place it underneath the tongue of that skull. All of a sudden, the consciousness, right, that was carved into the metal would possess that skull and begin to communicate through the necromancy. skull. Necromancy, right? Because, you know, I think the last time I told you about, last time I was here, I talked about necromancy, right? Yes. It's very intimately connected here. We would call it necromancy. They're calling it sustaining their life after death. So to your point, absolutely. It's, it's, and I'm saying this because it's, it appears at least that what they're doing is they're placing consciousness on metal, placing that metal in a body. Now, for what purpose? We have a ton of cases here, guys, of abductees saying that prior to the actual abduction taking place, there is a shared link of consciousness held between their abductor Mm -hmm. and themselves to the point that they can see the ship flying over their own house as if they're already in the ship, right? Right. That we would call that demonic possession. Here's why. Because it's not just a shared link of consciousness. These these abductees are seeing symbols in their eyes. They're seeing everything that entity wants them to see. Now, it's very possible that that is also a reason as to how they can find people at any time they want to. Because we're thinking of, okay, where they're using Google Maps. They're not using Google Maps. They're triggering consciousness. Right? Mm -hmm. And that link between the two is intimate. And so I do believe that in many cases, they are carving consciousness into pieces of metal. We're calling them implants. In biblical antiquity, they called it necromancy. That's interesting. It's really interesting. Crazy, I know, but it's it's worth pursuing. Right. And, and, and do, how about the reproductive angle to abduction? Are they trying to create human vessels for their spirits yes Yes. now i just saw that look right there you're like what yeah right crazy that's what i've always believed because if you look at the evolution of thought regarding the afterlife is someone that died we have to make an image of them right? right and so that individual wants an image that they can possess that looks like them Right. What we're do what we're looking at is a a, a belief in, in the afterlife where they want to possess an image that looked like what they left. Right. So they want a body. Mm-hmm. We're gonna get into the, the old testament here in a second, but they want a body that looks like their apparition. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. And so well, um, am I rambling? I don't want to ramble. No, no, so no, much dude, to- go ahead. Go ahead. We got, okay. we got all night. So going back to the reproductive issue here, um, Ancient demonologists had a, a very uh, 
unique way of how demons would create offspring. One of them we can pull out of Genesis chapter 6, and um, I don't really agree uh, with, with some of the, the dogmatists regarding this text right. who say, okay, they're fallen angels. I think, again, mm-hmm. that's what they called them in the Old Testament because they're limited to the language of the time. So in Genesis chapter 6, we see a narrative that says that supposedly fallen angels mated with mortal women, Mm -hmm. and they created an offspring of giants. Now, there are two words that are used uh, in this passage that gives us clues uh, into what they are. Number one, they're called Rephaim. Mm -hmm. Okay, so there's two, there's a dual meaning there. The first meaning is giants. The second meaning, which is more important to me, is that it means deceased ancestors, right? So they've mutated a little bit. They're not just possessing. Is that Nephilim or Raphaelim? Nephilim, right. Nephilim and Raphaelim are the same entities. Same Same thing. Okay. So um, I found a, a manuscript. It's called the Apocryphon of John, and it was preserved by Egyptian monks, Christian monks. And it gives detail into this phenomenon in Genesis 6. It says that these entities waited until the husband would leave the wife. Uh, personally, I think it was when they were they died, but uh, it, they, you know, they could have went and got beer, chicken wings, <laughs> whatever, you know, get, get a bottle of wine, you know, make it a make it a good night, you know. Uh, but whatever happened, the husband was not present with the wife at the time. And it says that, that when the husband was gone, they would enter into the room in the image of their husband. Mm-hmm. Now, I've always wrestled with this because time out. How did they know what the husband looked like? Is it possible that they read into the mind of the woman and created an image of what she's usually intimate with? Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes perfect sense. Because that's an incubus, right? Right. It's crazy stuff, man. So then they groomed these women into physical intercourse. At the moment of conception, which I'll keep a PG, we all know what that means. The moment of conception, they they performed a ritual that, that, that opens up this entire narrative and it gives us insight into what the heck they're doing why it is they're doing it, and what this passage is about. It says that the moment of conception, they stared into the eyes of the woman, hello, UFO abduction phenomenon, and stared deeply into the eyes, and then they reversed their apparition to what they truly look like. Right. What were they doing? Well, it's an obstetric tradition in Mesopotamia, the Levant, that whatever man the woman is focused upon at the moment of conception, she will birth the material image of in her womb as a child. Why? Because they mutated. They wanted, they wanted a body that looks like their apparition. Right. Right. So I have it in my book. One of the sentences that's the creepiest out of there in the book, I says that uh, I said that um, as the child matures, the ghost grows. Interesting. We're looking at the re-embodiment 
of deceased ancestors. So this is all about immortality. Yes. How do we preserve ourselves? So that's why right now uh, we have what's called the missing fetus syndrome, mm -hmm. where um, people literally they'll they'll have this crazy stuff because I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you this, then I'm gonna nail it down, and we're gonna get to the root of it and where it began. Okay. But they um, we have missing fetus syndromes where people have a dream of being intimate, and then and then they're pregnant. Mm -hmm. Up until when they've learned to sustain human life to a point now that they can take consciousness and place it in a body now. Right. And then when they're ready for that, guess what? You know, more than I do, probably they take the baby. Oh, yeah. Fascinating. It is. It's amazing. These being these 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 ancestors that are doing this. Um, is it just the ancestors that are doing this or could somebody like you or me start doing this after we pass away? Absolutely. I think that's what's happening. Yeah. 100%. And I think that, I think that, um, many people are being taught how to do this once they die. Now I'm going to rock a lot of boats here, but I'm going to suggest that there is a time frame that many people are taught how to possess a body again, right? It's not like we just wake up and, oh, my God, I don't know how to do it. It's as if they're teaching people who've died before how to possess a body, how to navigate it, and how to control it again. Does that make sense? Yes. We would call that possession. Mm -hmm. Incredible. Sheer link of consciousness until that individual is learning how to operate a body again. We see it as memory in motion. Mm-hmm symbols just like the UFO abduction phenomenon um a language that's not their own and so someone else's memory and consciousness instead of katamua saying okay i'm going to be possessing metal now they're saying i'm going to possess another human being and learn how to wear this flesh again why because one day i will have another body and i need to know how to do it again I think that's a little bit what's, what's going on. So you we think that, so, 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 so you're th saying that like like uh, regular old fashioned possession, like we see in the movie The Exorcist, mm -hmm. is basically like um, they want to uh, use a bodysuit for a little while so they can remember for when they get a permanent body. Yes, so I they, think so. That's so they don't completely lose the memory of what it's like to be in flesh. Exactly right. Now. Um, that's, that's the theory. Let's go down through history, shall we? And let's look at some more forms of demonology and how it evolves into this, whatever we have today, you know? Yeah. So what we would consider as possession, they consider to be a form of pregnancy. Mm -hmm. Incredible. So let's go to the incubus phenomenon. The incubus phenomenon essentially was a spirit that appears to women in the form of a man. And so that's really what, I mean, there was a time in my research where that was as much as I knew. And I thought, okay, you know, I've got that covered or whatever. And truthfully, it wasn't until I got a hold of Father Sinistrari's work, he was a Franciscan priest, that I stumbled upon a nuance of this research that was deeply troubling. So... Imagine in Genesis 6, you have an incubus spirit. You have an incubus spirit that's taking the image of a lover the woman is used to having. 
Mm -hmm. Okay. Right now I'm working with multiple women who are dealing with these type of spirits and one woman in particular, she said, I've been with eight different men and this entity has been trying to seduce me and it's manifested mm -hmm. as eight different partners. Right. This but is all been the same and all the same entity. Same entity. Incredible. What it's doing is it's it's stealing memory. Okay, I'll I'll do that, right? I'll be whatever you want me to be. But it's always in the image of a man. Because the man produces, I'm gonna get this little scientific here. The man produces seed. Mm -hmm. Okay, this is how they think. So Father Sinistrari said that he had cases where he would go into homes where an incubus encounter had just happened. And he would collect semen samples left by these entities in the bedroom. Do you have them DNA tested? They haven't. I'm working on it, though. Right? Can you imagine? Pause the interview. Can you imagine, right, if we tested the DNA right now? Yeah. Oh, my God. Such a huge breakthrough. I'm working on that because I am working with people that are saying the same thing. Right? They hear me on a show. And they're like, man, I almost wrecked my car because they're, they're still doing this stuff today. They're still leaving semen samples. So what that led me to, to, to think about was, okay, uh, you know, at first I thought that the incubus spirit was just after pleasure. It wasn't. It was using her pleasure with, for the purpose of impregnating her right. as a six. Hmm. Most of <laughs> so this is a whole other chain of thought, man. I know it, it is interesting, you know. Um, but uh, with the alien agenda in mind, do you believe that there could possibly be just life on other planets visiting Earth? I believe that is a big possibility, absolutely. Um, with that, I do believe that we are dealing with at least a portion of these creatures are formerly us trying to uh, navigate the afterlife the best way they can and, and introduce a, in some ways, an apocalyptic species of evil where it's not just, you know, some of these entities do want to live again, but other entities are psychopaths. You know, I mean, mm -hmm. imagine a killer wanting to be embodied again. He still has that same, you know, same memory, same victimology and all that. Um, but the, 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 the phenomenon of, of, of pregnancy here, okay, again, possession of pregnancy, possession of pregnancy, that was just burned into my mind for months. I wrestled with it. And then I thought, okay, number one, where were they getting the, the semen samples that they were leaving in homes, right? They have yeah. to be, there we go. See, there's that connection. They have to be taking it from other men. Possibly. Yeah. Or as Sinistrari and Montague Summers said, that they had actually witnessed entities milking the carcasses of the deceased. They were called vampires. Right. And it wasn't just blood. It was biological <clears throat> substances. And so what appears right here on the face, at least in this, this little thought here it appears that what they were doing is taking semen from another man and then trying to implant it in a living woman 
right? To get the process going. Why? Because I believe they're still doing what they're doing in Genesis 6. At the moment of conception, they would stare in their eyes, they would reverse their apparition, and then, I, and I don't know what all that entails, but they believe it's accurate and that they believe it works. And then uh -huh. they would try again to create a body that looks like their apparition. So they're working not just with DNA, right? But it's, it's their way of staying alive. So I, I can't help but think about in vitro fertilization. Right. Do you think there are people, living people, like you, you know, regular, you know, doctors, people in the medical and science profession that are aware of what's going on and are assisting through using in vitro fertilization as a technology in order yes, to yes. create vessels for these demons to live in. Uh, if, if not for them, for humans, right? For us, there, 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 they would be scientists who are looking into the future and saying, okay, um, you know, we could we could transfer consciousness into metal and call it technology, <laughs> or we can take it and and place it into bodies, which that would be more along the lines of, you know, the reproduction phenomenon. Place a child in, take it out. And and a lot of times in history, it wasn't just their them creating children with women, uh, literally fathering babies with someone else's seed. Um, it was uh, to the point where they would actually kill the baby in the womb and and i noticed this and i thought man what the heck is going on and uh matter of fact in in the uh the dark ages their their, their demonologists considered incubi they had a name for them they called them larvae because it wasn't just the father but it was the son it was mm -hmm. an early form of life to them crazy man when i read this research i'm like dude i need a 12 pack this gets nuts <laughs> honestly because it's like you know it's way deeper than than any movie. You know what I mean? No TV show has gotten this deep. And it's history. So are there humans walking among us now that were once deceased and have now are now inhabiting bodies Absolutely. and are continuing this agenda while they're in the flesh? Yes. Yes. 100%. And I will say that because if you look at Dr. David Jacobs' work, He's talking about these people, these, these, these individuals who are here, and they're trying again. They, now that they've learned how to work a body, they're trying to adjust themselves to the time of history they live in now. That's interesting, mm -hmm. right? It's, it's like a crash, a crash of, of philosophies and memories and time frames. And, and that's why when you get into possession cases, 99% uh, of the time, it's like, okay, we're dealing with memory here. We're dealing with someone who has been, who's been alive, who died, and now they're possessing people. Now, let's get back to this pregnancy issue. We have the incubus, right? Let's take that whole phenomenon, place it on the shelf for a second. It wasn't until the 16th century that I really got some insight into how they believe pregnancy is possession and possession is pregnancy. Can I tell you that the debut phenomenon is not about a wine box that's haunted? <laughs> Sorry, you know, what is it's it? not. The debut phenomenon was literally about, quote, the impregnation of the dead in the bodies of the living. That's what it was. That's dark. The man. Hebrew. Do what? That's dark. Oh, I know. I know. Oh, my God. It's very dark. 
Yeah. So, so the possessions cases of the D book in the 16th century, you have Isaac Luria and Jaime Patel uh, in what really changed their perception of the D book phenomenon. Wasn't just the fact that their cases were people who died and possessed people. And so they would have, you know, a demoniac would come to them and they would begin to talk to the entity and the entity would say, you know what, this is my name. This is my address. This is how I was murdered. Give them the whole story. Tell them the name of the murderer. The cops, the, the authorities would go to the house and arrest the murder, murderer, right? The murderer would start crying, confess, and say his ghost had been visiting me for the last five years. Case solved. Now the entity is gone, no longer possesses the victim. They were not dealing with horns and hooves. They were dealing with consciousness. Am I, am I going too fast? Does it make it sense? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, they were dealing with consciousness that was discarnate, disincarnate rather, and now it's possessing people for various reasons. It wasn't until one of them, one of the exorcists, had a woman that came to them. This is, I'm telling you, this is going to all make sense. She said, I am possessed. Well, tell me your experience. She said, last night I had a dream. Ooh. And in the dream, there was a man that came to me. Oh, and we made love in the dream. Who was it? It's my deceased husband. Check. Right. right? All the way back to Genesis 6. Okay, you know, and it's very strange. So anyways, uh, they said that they made love. The next day, she's possessed by this entity. When they brought the woman forward, the crowd was astonished and unexplained horror. For behold, then her womb was that spirit crawled up in the fetal position, and she looked like she was pregnant. Hmm. Therefore, they sat down and had a Congress and said, okay, look, guys, is possession pregnancy? Was she possessed by that entity, or was she pregnant with him? Uh -huh. I... I'm going to suggest, again, that they were mutating in their evolution, and they were doing the same thing they were always doing, is merging consciousness with bodies, so, and using us to birth <clears throat> their afterlife. Um, so could this theory also be used to explain when people have recollection, recollections of past lives? Very much so. Very much so. In fact, is there any difference between this and reincarnation? Oh, there's not. Now, um, this gets very, this gets, this is crazy, man, because hopefully this opens up the whole, the whole topic to a larger dimension of thought. But it appears that what we're dealing with, it's not just okay. They're creating. It's not just that they're creating skin suits or what Fritz Kramer calls social skins for themselves. I will suggest that they're creating them for us too. And I think a lot of the babies that they're pulling out of women and giving back to them, it looks like them. They, matter of fact, there's, there's, there's a, such a physical similarity mm -hmm. that they can tell it's their child. Mm. Does it make sense? It, does. it is a form of reincarnation. So how do I know I'm not one? I don't know that yet. I don't know that yet. How and do you I'm know you're not reason. one? Yeah. I don't know. Uh, I mean, it, it's possible that either one of us is a right. demon. Right. 
in it it could be that we're looking at and i know this is this is conjecture but it's very possible that we're looking at the fact that okay when we grow to a certain age that memory's gone right right and then and then we're learning what we should be learning in a new body does it make sense you know it's all it's all it's, it's a lot of conjecture but what i'm saying is there are behavioral patterns that are alarming here that are very close to each other if not the same mm-hmm. and uh, i mean i'm just going to throw this out there real quick and i'll in the thought real quick but uh if you look at like some of the research from dr carla turner uh, the great ufo abduction researcher she is working with a man named ted rice ted rice was abducted along with his grandmother and uh, he said that they were in a room together when a hybrid entity emerged and was trying to group his grandmother into intercourse. Now, again, we cannot pay attention to manifestations, the lights and all the shiny things, right? You have to look at the behavioral patterns because the behavior will never lie, right? What they're after will never lie. It's always been there throughout history. And so uh, when he was trying to, to get fresh with her, I should suppose, we'll say whatever, <laughs> for lack of better terms, um, she pushed him off and said sternly, I've only been intimate with one man in my life, and that's my husband. Okay, right? We're looking we're right back in that passage. And then she says, but he's been deceased now for 11 years. Guess who appears from the shadows? Her husband. Hmm. Same thing, exact same thing. So again, we cannot limit ourselves to, to the language that our ancestors used to describe this phenomenon, because we can make fun of them for saying, oh my God, they have flying shields, but maybe mm-hmm. 2000 years from us, somebody will look back and say, them idiots, they said they're flying saucers. <laughs> right? So how about disclosure from the government? How's that tie into this? I don't know. I think that. Um, you think it's just all BS? I think there are this, this there's disinformation out there. Absolutely. Um, I think a lot of the stuff that, that they're learning is uh, it's going to destroy some of the dogma that religion has created. And, and in doing so, will destroy the way that a lot of these religions has sustained themselves right throughout centuries. Mm-hmm. And uh, it would destroy a lot of it. And, and, I, and more than that, I think that they don't understand either. Uh, now, for those researchers out there, uh, Steve Mara is one of my heroes. And he, he talks about that, you know. I mean, we're talking about a threat that has eclipsed all of our technology. It's pulling people out of their own bodies. And we'll get to that in maybe the next segment. But, uh, you know, if it decided to be a threat, there's really nothing we could do. Mm-hmm. And so if disclosure did come, I believe it would come in little pieces, stuff that's not going to offend or rock the boat. It would be maybe, you know, like we've had with Luis Elizondo, you know, just, okay, you know, we acknowledge it. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, you're not crazy. It's actually happening pretty right. much. That's about it. Because I, I promise you that it's not just that they don't understand a lot of this, but things that they do understand, I think would traumatize a lot of people. If you were to, Say, say for example, I was somehow to be revealed as one of these demons, mm-hmm. a reincarnated entity with the purpose of nothing but evil. Right. What would you do? I don't know, honestly. Because 
we we've had them throughout history. They were called the Nephilim. Right. Right. They were psychopaths. They were cannibals. Um, one text in the Bible it says, okay, when the spies went into Canaan, it says that the earth devours its inhabitants. The earth was the repository of the dead. We're talking about literally graves opening up. Mm-hmm. These entities crawling out and just destroying everything. So if we're if I was to deal with what I call a soul hunter, I don't know, I don't know yet what it would believe in, right? I don't know that the other power that it would say, okay, this is what I submit to. I would, I would, I would think it's Yahweh, God. But um, throughout history, they hated authority. They hated women. They hated law. Mm-hmm. And so it's the worst psychopath you would ever want to lay eyes on. How that's, do you, how do you, how do you know that there's psychopath mm-hmm. versus for lack of a better word I could come up with, a freedom fighter, that they just want liberation somehow. No, no, maybe, entities- maybe they're trying to liberate themselves from their own creator. Okay, so here's how we know that. Like, Let's look at the behavioral patterns and just actions of the Nephilim, right? I'm not talking about, obviously I'm separating just the Nephilim from these entities, right? I'm mm-hmm. looking at the same way they're existing, but the specifically speaking, the Nephilim in the Bible were um, people who had died of a, like of a violent death, who were murdered, who um, for some reason had a hatred for humanity and they wanted revenge. And so when they were re-embodied, that's what they did. That's what they did every day. They would kill. They would, um, now imagine, and this is going to get into psychology a little bit. Look at the psychology and what's called the psychopathology of a serial killer. Mm -hmm. They don't Mm -hmm. just kill everybody, right? Right. What they do is they use their life, their, their subconscious makeup, their psychology to project a certain kind of victim. Right. See, if you have, you know, a lot of people who would kill women had an issue with their mother. Right. See, you know, Aline Warnos hated men. Why? Because her father and all that stuff. So, so mm-hmm. what we have here, at least in much of this, is uh, our entities who their victims that they chose mirror the way they died, who murdered them, or or memories that they had. Right when they were embodied. So one of them was called Nimrod. Nimrod was called a hunter of men. Hunter of men. Now, it's not, that's not like, um, you know, every day there's a new battle to be won. No. What he literally did, right, we would call him a serial killer. He was Nephilim. Right. Crazy stuff, man. And I so, won't ramble on that. So, so uh, I'm just going to play devil's advocate here for a little bit. No. Okay? Yeah. Um. I mean, I think all of us has uh, hated humanity at some point. If you're human, at some point in your life, if you live, I would say at least to the age of 50, during those 50 years, there's going to be a point in your life where you look at humanity and you're just like, this is just awful. Yeah, right, right, right. I've, I've met a couple people like that. I'm just like, nah, I'm done. See ya. Yeah. And, and I'm sure like maybe even you've looked at humanity a few times and be like, oh. 
you know, <laughs> is this even worth fighting for? Right. In terms of what? What do you mean? I'm sorry. In, in terms of the Nephilim and, and these yeah. demons, is humanity even worth fighting for? Is it even worth going to battle for, against these things? I think it is because one remarkable nuance in this is that they believe in us more than we believe in us in many cases. That there's some unseen potential in humanity that we've never discovered, or at least yet, that they've tapped into, right? And so they victimize our own potentiality. They weaponize our own ignorance. And now we become the source for them while neglecting the fact that possibly we can be the sources for our own selves. And, and you know, but th this whole thing about this whole thing, man, it's wrapped around the idea that ancient demonology was misunderstood and that it's perhaps more profitable as a researcher, at least for me in my perspective, to strip it from the dogma and take the data sample mm -hmm. Because, uh, and I know in the next segment, we'll probably go into uh, just more of how they're pulling apparitions out of bodies and, the, and what they're doing, because um, I'm, I'm hopefully I'm layering this like a cake, right? Precept upon precept to the end of this, you'll be like, okay, that makes, makes a lot more sense than it maybe did earlier. <laughs> right. Um, are they able to kill a human soul? Yeah. Uh, I don't know about the soul, but I know about the human, yes. So they can kill the body, but you don't know if they can kill the, the actual soul. consciousness. Right. So let's get back to the idea of a soul. Uh, in biblical antiquity, uh, Mesopotamia, their idea of the soul wasn't limited to the physical body. I thought it was. It wasn't. They, they had what's called the internal soul. We would call it an apparition. Mm -hmm. they called it the internal soul. Then they would have the external soul, which was the body. And that's why in Genesis 6, what we had were internal souls, the apparitions. We had them wanting to create an external soul, right? The merging together. So that's what they would call it. So if we go into the UFO abduction phenomenon, like we have one case study from Ray Fowler, who was working with Betty Anderson Luca, and her husband witnessed her one of her abductions where her ex her internal soul her apparition was literally peeled out of her body right so this gets very interesting so she's out of her body she remembers the abduction she's conscious now, there's two things going on simultaneously. Number one, they know enough about the body that the body is still alive when her consciousness is out of it. Okay. I'm gonna get, this is going to be very cool. You're going to like this. How? How do they do that? How do they maintain the life of the body while the internal soul is being abducted? Now, he looks down and he sees his wife still in bed. In her memory is that I wasn't with my husband. I was with them. They begin to do tests. This is a whole new dimension of thought. You ready for this? I'm getting excited, man. I'm yeah, getting excited. I'm ready, man. I'm ready. All right. They begin to run tests, not on her body. But on her soul. On her 
soul. Holy crap. Now, when she got back into her body, whatever scars were on her soul, whatever they did to her soul, manifested on her body. On her body. Oh, my God. Now, I have a, um, I've been working with another gentleman whose father uh, was a renowned remote viewer. Mm-hmm. And his father would lay down, his consciousness would leave his body, and his father would interact with guides. Whenever his father would get back into his body, they have Polaroid film, which I'm working on getting. My God, if I do, right? Oh, man, I'm so stuck. Polaroid film of religious amulets being scar- being manifested on his chest. Same phenomenon. Right. It, what they're doing, it appears, what to, it appears as if what they're doing is they're not just running tests on the body, they're running tests on the soul. And then whatever shows up on the soul manifests on the body. Mm-hmm. Right? Makes sense? Yes. Now, let's go to Dr. Ian Stevenson's work in reincarnation. Okay. Okay. He says, and it's crazy, but I'm telling you, it's not. It's fascinating that people that by the age of five, there are some people that will say, you know what? I'm having these memories, right? I I have memories and I know languages that I shouldn't know and all of this stuff. And then they would say, um, matter of fact, I had this birthmark on my neck and I have a memory of being shot in my neck or stabbed in my neck. But whatever happened to that body happened to the soul. And then when the soul entered the new body, it manifested again. Right. Follow me? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a a common it's a common phenomenon that I've heard from people who've gone through past life regression. Exactly. So what we see here is it's not just a, a technology of consciousness but a profound knowledge of the soul to the point where the soul is not just some uh, smoky apparition that floats into the room at night, but there's a material aspect to it. It holds a certain image of itself. And, excuse me, when that apparition, that internal soul has an external soul, whatever is on that soul manifests on the body mm-hmm. right? right and again we're looking at a form of re-embodiment obviously but also reincarnation okay that's crazy ain't it, dude? i knew it. it's so fascinating man so when people mm-hmm. are all people that are reincarnated demonic entities no no not at all not at all no None at all. Um, How do you know the difference? Like, like for example, like the Dalai Lama, you know. No, no, I don't think so. I, I don't. I so, don't so he's okay. I, I would assume so. You know, uh, what we're looking at is a technology that both, both, I would say, species know. You know what I mean? Like the good people know about it, and the bad people know about it. The bad uh, people are reincarnating the, reincarnating okay. themselves to murder. To, to, to wreak havoc. That's okay. what we would call the Nephilim. Got it. The good people, I, I, it's almost as if they're just, they're, uh, Jewish mysticism would call it reincarnation. 
but it's as if they're um, adding to their existence, right? They're learning lessons. Mm -hmm. And when they die here, they move into another body or another them and they're reborn. And now they're, and that's, I think that's matter of fact, now that I think of it, that's where they came up with reincarnation was their, their cases of possession. It's exactly what we're talking about. Could it be that there's evil souls reincarnating and in sort of retaliation or yep. uh, whatever, there's these good souls reincarnating also to fight these bad souls. And it's just happening right. over and over and over again. Right. The same souls have been at war for eternity. Exactly right. Now, that's a good fault. Now, let's let's go down that rabbit hole real quick, man. Matter of fact, if you go into what's called comparative etymology in the Bible, the Hebrew word for uh, an angel is malakim. Prior to them taking that word and, and, and putting it in their language and saying, okay, now it's a part of our religion, it used to mean deceased ancestor. Mm-hmm. Right? right? That was their term for what they were experiencing. Oh, it's an angel. Well, what if it isn't? Right? What if it is, but it's somebody who died? Does that make sense? Yeah. Just like the demon would not be semi-divine horns and hooves. It was someone who had died. And so you're right, where that that's that that may be where the war is being waged. But um, I think that it's quite a compelling case. And we're gonna get deeper and deeper tonight. But uh, you know, it's at this point it's getting clearer, you know, a little bit. So you do think if this is a spiritual war that's been going on for eons, mm-hmm. what do you think the prize is? You know, it has to be, I'm going to say this. I don't know what the prize for the Nephilim would be other than to pillage, rape, and murder. That's really what they would do. They would eat and every eat people and all that stuff. I don't know what their prize would be, other than to punish people, punish the world for the the way they died or or whatever happened in their life. Right. The soul hunter that that the book of Ezekiel chapter thirteen discusses. It's it, it's almost as if to some of these entities, the soul is a form of currency to them Mm -hmm. right so it's 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 not just what i want but it's perhaps i can take this and i can trade it in for something that i really do want or something because a lot of these demons throughout history or whatever you want to call them they would ask for uh sacrifices human sacrifices right and with this research in mind we always thought okay oh yeah they just died and they wanted to kill somebody what that's not true Right? What if they're liberating that internal soul from the external soul, right? And they're capturing it. And I know that's pure conjecture, but it's interesting. <laughs> well, that does make sense. Like in the ancient civilizations, when they were doing a lot of human sacrifice, that that, that could be the, you know them at work, no doubt. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So, so what I mean, would be, what would be the prize for the good guys? I would say eternal life. So in a way, they're both after the same thing. Yeah, they are after the same thing. Um, and that that the way, okay, the external soul that these entities in Ezekiel 13 are creating 
It's the same thing that's in Genesis 6. Now, in Ezekiel chapter 13, Yahweh calls them soul hunters. And in a very unique way, he taps into what's really going on. It's strange. Mm -hmm. He comes out and says that those who hunt the souls of men, not like gender specific, but humanity. He said, those who who hunt the souls of men to make them fly. They're necromancers. <coughs> now, the reference that he's he's pointing back to throughout history, he was talking about the Egyptian soul. Hmm. That when a person dies, we call them orbs. They would fly out of the body like a bird. That's why he made the reference. Right. And some of the demons, <laughs> this gets cool too, that Yahweh would mention, one of them was called hmm. the snare of the fowler. Hmm. He's talking about entities that are capturing the souls of men and women. Okay. We didn't know what that meant until we had the modern UFO abduction phenomenon where it's happening. They're pulling souls out of bodies. Crazy stuff. For but, ba- um, are they using them for batteries? I think so to, to a degree. Um, uh, I do believe that, like I said, a lot of these ships are possessed. We would call them possessed by consciousness. Um, and I think that you're right in the sense of batteries and that, that there's a communication going on uh, with them. Okay, let me, let me say it like this, man. We have cases where um, these entities, these uh, replicas of life, right? The greys will show up and they all look alike for the most part. And um, it appears to be that they're all being ran by one consciousness. So cool. Where it's projecting its own consciousness on them. That's, that's why, um, okay, that's why in the Apocryphon of John, it mm-hmm. says that they created copies of the same body. And so um, what I was going to say is this. We have cases where the abductees are saying that, that the greys are taking their hand, placing it over a symbol or over an object. And to them, they said that it's as if like a, a form of communication, like one consciousness is a communicating to another consciousness in the ship mm-hmm. and the ship, right? That link. And I don't, I don't want to get to do this because I know it's conjecture, but it's as if it's not just metal. It's wherever they think they can go. Right. It's connected. It's a connection. So to us, we would say, okay, the way to manipulate a craft is we have to place both hands on a a nozzle or something and work it physically. They're saying I can take my consciousness, place it in the craft. Let's get some knots, dude. And now it'll go wherever I want it to. And that, again, that is a byproduct of the evolution of Katamua. When I die, my consciousness is going to be in that metal thing. When you talk about this consciousness going into metal and, and what these grays are doing, it makes me think about the key of Solomon yep. and the sigils that are in that book. Mm-hmm. And and that's essentially what those sigils are supposed to be used for, right? Is the, you know, they, yes. they contain the spirit so they yes. can be held there and used there for a specific purpose. Correct. Is there, 
So, so is, is there a, a connection between the key of Solomon or even with King Solomon himself and these entities? I think so. I think so. Like, like, not just the, first of all, not just the key of Solomon, right? It's not just the trapping of them and the employment of them to do whatever you want them to do. Uh, but like, let's, let's go to, cause I agree with you there, right? I believe that there is a major connection there. Um, like even as far back, uh, let's see here into the medieval period, uh, Eros and evil it's a book written by Ariel Masters. You guys got to go pick it up. But it's about demonology in the medieval period. And uh, it's very similar to the Book of Solomon in some ways. But one unique way is how they said that when these witches would go to their sabbats, they were um, having intercourse with uh, not apparitions of dead people, but actual corpses. Okay. Remember, how, remember what I told you about um, in Genesis, how I believe that these men were dead, the husbands were dead mm-hmm. before they manifested to them, you know, all stuff. Well, uh, they were they were make, they were having intercourse with with uh, corpses. And what's really interesting about this is that just like the UFO abduction phenomenon, there were husbands who they said that that would in the middle of the night, they would watch their wife leave. And then they caught him out of the corner of their eye. They would watch another apparition of her. They were called familiar spirits at that point. But another version of her slip in bed next to him so he would not realize that they had just abducted his wife. This is nuts, man. (laughs) They They sent a second her in her place so the husband didn't realize she's gone. Now, that's not just in the medieval period. I found multiple accounts of abductees who've said that has occurred to them frame by frame, the exact same thing. Matter of fact, there was one abductee who said they took his wife and replaced her with another version of her, but it wasn't her at all. Mm -hmm. Why? Because again, they weren't just switching out husbands. I believe that what they were doing is switching out a wife so that they could impregnate that other her. Makes sense. Right? If they're, doing, if, if they're doing this for wives and for reproduction, mm-hmm. could they be doing this with government? Could they be taking government officials and replacing their souls with other souls? Yes, yes, easily. Think about those implications. It can't be good. Because, no, we're, yeah, right. We're dealing with, uh, especially with the Nephilim, it's not just, okay, we're dealing with somebody who lived and died, but these entities in many cases have been able to retain their memories. And so uh, this is very interesting too. It's not like, okay, they're five years old, they forget everything. No, they are self-possessed. They know. They remember everything. And so now we're dealing with not just somebody whose memory's wiped and who's growing with the ghost. <laughs> we're dealing with somebody who says, I have three or 4,000 years of history behind me. I know what's going on. Not just that. This is very important. We're also dealing with an entity who's died, stepped out of the small room into the bigger room, looked around and said, okay, this is how it works. Mm-hmm. And then was reborn back into the small room. We would basically say they're gods because they would have such a transcendence that um, it would be semi-divine. So, so do you think it's possible that, say, the the soul of Cain 
mm-hmm. is walking among us right now in human form. I can't say it's not. I can't say it's not possible. It's possible, you know. Um, one one cool thing about this that I've noticed is, uh, oh man, I haven't even touched on this with you. So, in Genesis six, we have the apparition right that's trying to father a a child that looks like him, yes. right? Mm-hmm. So he's wanting a body that looks like its apparition. But it needed someone else's seed. Very curious how they're doing this stuff. But my point is, we need to understand that the father was the son. That apparition was in, the consciousness was in that child. Right? Mm-hmm. So when we're looking at him, we're looking at everything the father knew, everything the father remembers, but it's in a child. And right. so it's it's literally, like I said, it's the external soul mm-hmm. and the mm-hmm. internal soul merged together and it exists among us. So it, it's crazy thought, man. It's the father is the son. It's not the father and the son. They're the one and the same. Right. And I think, again, this goes back to Ian Stevenson's work where he would have people who say, I've lived the past life. And they would say, okay, well, what did you look like then? They would still remember the name. They would pull up a picture, right? And then they would say, okay, well, my God, there's a striking resemblance between who you used to look like Mm -hmm. and who you look like now. It's crazy, man. It is. It is. Is it, is it possible I mean, I mean, just to think like like that that some of the people that we're encountering could possibly be these characters out of history, yep. still continuing the same war that they had thousands and thousands of years ago, mm-hmm. is fascinating. It's intense, and, and, and it can really make you question, at least for me anyway. Mm-hmm. Everybody I meet, who are they really? Who are they really? You know. Yeah. Yeah, uh, it was uh, Malachi Martin, one of, also one of my heroes. He would talk about people who were perfectly possessed, you know, a doctor, a deacon, a pastor, maybe, who one day they they manifested who they really were. And, you know, they would go and murder a family or they would do something just wild that was right. unlike them. It's because that entity is there. And so what we need to realize is that we could be, t- and I, I do this because it's, it's a chilling reminder of what we're dealing with because it puts it into, you know, imagery, but we're talking about people who we could be talking to like this, right? This is their face. And at any moment, mm-hmm. they could look around and just make eye contact and just, and you you know, who are we dealing with? It's, it's a wild thought, admittedly, but I think it's um, echoed in the sentiments of serial killers, Um at least in the Nephilim aspect of it, right? If we look at, uh, who was it? Jeffrey Dahmer. Jeffrey Dahmer's very, his favorite movie was The Exorcist. And most of his murders were performed under trance. His only living victim, the male, said that he had walked out of the bathroom, turned to his right and saw Jeffrey Dahmer swaying back and forth in a trance. He was watching The Exorcist and Dahmer was speaking in an unknown language. Hmm. And uh, matter of fact, Dahmer would uh, create, he would actually perform a necromantic ritual with a lot of the bodies 
One of them being crushing, pulverizing the bones in, in a fanning motion, spreading them out in his lawn. Mm-hmm. And then he would come out of it wondering, what did I just do? We're looking at memory and motion here. Um, I, I can keep going on, man, but it's just really interesting. It is. Um, you know, like, like I was thinking like about that guy who like shot all those people in Las Vegas, you know, and it was just such a random thing. Like nobody's ever figured out why he did it. Right. Right. Do, do you think like that type of violence is it possibly a result of these spirits? Possessing yes, people? yes. Because it's not, it's definitely not, um, it's definitely not someone who has like a chemical imbalance or something. You know what I mean? It's not that. We're dealing with very intelligent people, people who are, for the most part, sane, who, uh, in many cases, especially with certain serial killers, their IQs to the roof. You know, they can mm-hmm. they can blend in. They could they could be your best friend, and you'll never know it. Uh, matter of fact, this is this is this is really unique too. So so it's not just that that these a lot of these serial killers um, have knowledge that they shouldn't have, or memories that, that at least we didn't think until now. Maybe it didn't belong to them, right? They have a knowledge of the afterlife that's alarming. The, um, the Zodiac killer, it took us over 50 years to translate his code. You know what it basically said? What did it say? I killed enough people now because I have enough slaves for me in the afterlife. That was his whole deal. He didn't kill more than, I think, five. Uh-huh. And he said, I didn't need more than five. Or else he would have killed six. But in his mind, Soul Hunter. <laughs> so seri- these serial killers are probably just harvesting souls. I think that many of them are, and yeah, and, and I, I, I know what that means. I know what the implications are with that thought. But let's just go. Let's just take them at their word for a fleeting moment. Mm-hmm. You know, let's say, okay, maybe you are. Why? Like, what do you believe about that? Because for fifty-one years, we had a person who's taking lives and telling us about it. Or not, not, not that long. Obviously, that was just the uh, amount of time it took for the code to break. But you know, they're plucking people, taking people, and in their worldview, it's you know, it's for the afterlife. I think that at least should be considered and say, you know, what, what are you talking about? And and where did you get this belief system? Because that's very foreign. Do you think that there is a dark cabal in the, um? in our world right now that is sacrificing and eating babies. I haven't seen evidence of that. I mean, I've seen a lot of theories on it. Um, I don't know much about that portion. I'll say that. So I don't, I don't know enough about that to speak on it in definite, even though I know we just had like an hour and a half of show where I'm not, you know, not pinning anything on the wall or anything, but I have not seen enough evidence that would convince me that that's the case. Right. I've seen a lot of uh, Photoshop ops and just, you know, <laughs> this is what we believe is happening. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And, and the adrenochrome and all this stuff where people, you know, it doesn't, I don't know. I, I haven't seen enough evidence to convince me that's going on, at least I should say. And that's just my humble opinion. No. And, and I agree. I agree. I too have not seen the evidence. I think if there was, for me, I would have come across it, you know, with all the people that I interview. I would have found some proof by now if it was happening. 
Exactly right. You would you would see a behavioral pattern yeah. right, throughout history where it's okay. This is what they're doing, and yeah. So I, I know there's going to be people that have watched my other shows that still maybe like really dang it, you know. But honestly, <laughs> if, if I don't see evidence for it, I'm not going to speak on it. And that's what I meant earlier when I said I don't, I don't, can't speak on it because I I don't have the evidence for it. The other stuff is it's there. I mean, it's there. We can yeah. see it in any which way, but but up. So yeah. So what is the most what, what concerns you the most? Like, what is your mission? What concerns me the most is that we have a life form that is interacting with us without our permission. It is, I've, in some cases, it's manipulated religions. It's manipulated abductees. Right now, it's creating, I think they're creating uh, maybe a new religion. Um, I think that they're using really famous abductees to preach their their misinformation, mm-hmm. right? Their disinformation. This is who we really are. And, and the scariest thing about that is uh, we cannot argue with phenomenon. We can have video footage. And, and my God, we're damned if we do, because how do we know that what they're telling us, straight up telling us, is real. I mean, they could be manipulating. I mean, it's not just, okay, they manipulate physics. Let's think about how intellectual they are. You know what I mean? How, I mean, what if they decided, okay, we're going to manipulate religion and they use our own psychology against us. So I'm worried that, because I'm a demonologist and I'm worried that my field is so far behind in demonology or so far behind the curve that by the time we realize what we are dealing with, that it's too late to push the beasts back into the darkness, Hmm. you know? Uh, So I I know we have a lot of dogmatists in my field, and I know we have a lot of ufologists who are just as dogmatic about their theories and their beliefs. I'm afraid, again, this is my second worst fear, I suppose, is I'm afraid that both fields will never unite They'll never shake the hand of each other and say, you know what, maybe you do have something to offer here. You know, so I, that's what I'm worried about. All right. So, so I want to say a good chunk of my audience are UFO people. It's good. Good. And I have uh, a lot of respect for them. Yeah. What would you, how would you put your hand out to them and try to get them to at least consider? what you're proposing number one i would say that to say okay that 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 they're demons that's pretty much what their argument is against the the religious crew Uh, i don't agree that they're demons either right in the sense of horns and hooves they're not fallen angels and all this stuff um and i would agree with them on that and i would say you know what there have been a lot of times that religion itself has defiled the world. It soiled its image in more ways than one. And, and, and often, it's, often, uh, it's often led to the point where anybody is looking and saying, you know what, I don't want anything to do with it. Like even, you know, even if you believe in demons, you don't believe in what religion did, I don't want anything to do with it. I understand that position. I grew up as a Christian and my dad's a pastor and I've emancipated myself from a lot of it. So what I would say to them is um, don't look at the Bible as dogma or some salvific 
uh, text. Look at it as a historical text. Watch this. Purely the cases of demons. Just that. Purely the case of demons. Pluck them out, throw them on the wall, and say, is it possible that, that, that we've limited their experiences to the language they use to describe them? Right? right. And, and is it possible that once we emancipate them, from that language and say, you know what? They may have said it was a horns and hooved demon. Uh, what if we say, you know what? Maybe they got the terminology wrong and look at the body of data. Mm-hmm. Like I have and say, is it, is it similar? It is clearly 100% is. And if they look at these case studies in the Bible, in the Levant, Mesopotamia, um, through the eyes of it being a historical document that needs to be researched, understood, translated into modernity, um, I think that at that point, we would have a lot to offer as demonologists hmm. uh, in, in, in ways that I think that they've never really thought about. Because I'm the first one to tell you, I'm being persecuted by a lot of religious people I know, because I'm coming out and saying, listen, I don't believe they're horns and hooves. You know, mm-hmm. I believe that many of these entities are disincarnate people. I'm, I'm getting hated on for that. So I understand the religious persecution, but at the same time, we're, we're called. I mean, I, this is calling to me. We're called to dive deeper. Let them be. Let's look at this for what it is. This is a life form, mm-hmm. and uh, it needs to be studied from prehistory to modernity, regardless right. of what the dogmatists want. Right. And that was wordy. Do, do, you, do you think that there is a common thread that ties together all unexplained phenomena, UFOs, demons, Bigfoot, multidimensional beings, Remote viewing, psychic phenomenon, telekinesis. I'm not, I used to be a big proponent of the unified field theory. Um, I'm not so much now um, because there are a lot of behavioral patterns throughout history that do not fit what we're talking about tonight. You know, they just don't. Um, and we, we could see that like in the debut cases, a lot of these cases were um, people who would possess people, like a dead person would possess a victim and then show up and would be like, listen, can you pray for me? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That's all it wanted was prayer. And and so that doesn't fit into this blueprint. <laughs> you know, so what, it, what, it, what, what, you know, what, from what reality or what worldview is that entity coming from? So, I do. I don't really believe in the unified field theory as much. I believe that much of this is unified, which we talked about, but I don't believe it's all encompassing at this point in my research. Interesting. So, so you think that some of these phenomena that are unexplained are caused by something separate? Some of it, yeah, yeah, some of it. Yeah, I mean, we have even some UFO abduction cases. You know, they're they're not interested in a lot of the stuff at all. Um, you know, I mean, it's almost as if it's not just, okay, re-embodiment in this planet or this universe, uh, but it's almost as if, okay, we're going to take your consciousness, we're going to place it in another body, it may not look like you, you know, or, mm-hmm. or you know, we don't know that yet, but it, it could be another universe. So, so there is evidence, at least from the UFO abduction side of it, 
that um, some of these entities are not worried about this stuff at all. They're worried about, um, you know, teaching us about our own selves, uh, obviously nuclear war, which we know that's a big theme for them, and climate change. Right. That, at least that's what their perspective is, regardless of what we say about climate change or anything, right? That's just where they're coming from. Mm-hmm. That's what they're saying. So um, not all of these um, eggs can be put in this basket, for sure. But in a way, if I'm a demon and I want immortality and I want to continue to inhabit human bodies, if the world is wiped out by nuclear war, all my effort is gone to waste. Exactly right. So even though it may seem like an altruistic effort, it really may just be selfish self-preservation. That's a good point. Self-preservation. Exactly right. You're right. And and that would point to, um, again, it would point to them knowing things about us, about this world, about this reality, about our, our own souls that we are ignorant of. The, but and I, and I will say this again, going back to the question of, you know, what would I say to the ufologist? I will say, listen, they're manifesting belief systems in the soul that did not originate in the science textbook. Mm-hmm. It originated in a religion. Now, yeah. <laughs> that's intense. Not that all religions right. No. What I'm saying is that it's highly possible that they took three or four or five thousand years of religion mm-hmm. to give us one thematic element, and that is to tell us you live on. Mm-hmm. Right? And now they're manifesting that in a unique way. I think that's a good point and worthy of making. Do you, do you, I mean, I mean you're Christian, I, I'm assuming, because you're way we were, way were brought up, sort yeah, of. Yeah, um, somewhat. <laughs> Why would God allow this? That, again, that, man, that messes with me a lot. I've had conversations about this with ministers, clergy, and even my own father. And that is the premier question in the back of our minds. Because philosophically speaking, there's only maybe two or three possibilities. You know, um, if he is, if he exists. I'm sorry? What are those possibilities? Um, I'll give you some here. Uh, Number one, he exists. And he's not all powerful. And this is a war that he's still fighting, which has been suggested. And I won't tell you um, who told me this, but it's somebody, and he he's another researcher, but he's 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 very tied into the Vatican. And he believe and he's been told that there are some uh, people in the Vatican that believe that we have misinterpreted the Bible in the sense that it's not that God has already won the battle, the battle's still going on. Okay. With, right, which would mean that it's not that he's not all powerful. It's that maybe he hasn't proved it yet, or you know he's still working. I don't know. So that's that's one thought that that he exists, and he's letting this happen, or he's fighting to stop it, uh, which is philosophically unsound. I mean, especially in, in the light of Christian theology. But these are all things we have to entertain, right? Because one thing's for sure. I told my father this. I said one thing's for sure. This stuff's happening. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's our responsibility to figure out why. Um, or the other another possibility is that he doesn't exist and that they have used religion, the idea of God, to communicate 
to humanity certain truths that are immutable uh, and that they wanted us to believe. And so they would have to say, okay, of course, we're going to have to create a God for you to believe in first and then give you truths that you would have otherwise never believed in, would have believed in. Okay. And how about the how about well, and how about the adversary? Like how about a, you know, the, the devil, Lucifer. Okay. Um, if I mean, if, if there is a Lucifer, like one of the problems I always had with the idea of Lucifer, okay, or this fallen angel concept is, he he God made him. If God created him, he should be able to to manage his own creation. Yeah, it's never been a philosophically sound for me either. Uh, I mean, if he thought for a second he could stand up to God, then God's not God. Yeah, or right. God's allowing it. Right, right. Who, who the heck are you? That's why I should have been like, you know, it was. But uh, there's a unique, oh, my God, this is a, this is a crazy, crazy thought that uh, a rabbi, one of the rabbis that I, I worked with in my research, he had this thought, and he, and he suggested to me, man, and it troubled me, he said, that when God's talking about Lucifer, he said, you were perfect in all of your ways until iniquity was found in you. Who put the iniquity in him? God had to. Right. And if it wasn't God, I mean, this opens up a whole new box of words. If it wasn't God, there's a third, Mm -hmm. right? Third entity out there that defile Lucifer. So, and that's getting a lot into theology and stuff. But I thought that was a really cool point. I never thought about that. I'm like, man, you got to go like, I don't know, think about that. You know, it's pretty intense. But all in all, I hope that somewhere in my word salad this evening, I have proven a, a sum of, of a case where where we can compare the two. Absolutely. You, know, and you, you have. Um, one more question. No. If... Uh... If all this is, if demons and all this is happening and there's a fight for our soul or for souls or what, whatever's happening, I mean, obviously we really don't know. It is, it is all kind of speculative. Um, could it all be done on purpose? As a lot of my guests will say is that uh, life is just about learning lessons and that, that these things exist so we can have a particular experience to learn certain lessons? Um, I don't know anybody that would learn how to be murdered. Well, we learn from loss, though. Right, we do. I think that's that's true in a sense. But I think there's a lot of this that, you know, again, reincarnation for the purpose of, you know, you got to be murdered or you're, you know, it. I think, I'll, I'll, like I said, okay, obviously I do believe that plays a role in it. Let me just say that, you know, I, I do believe that we are here to learn many things, but I do believe that there are some cases where that doesn't fit. You know, like I think either that we were sent to learn and then it got cut off short, you know, but I don't think anybody's born or reincarnated to learn um, how to be murdered. <laughs> you know, so I, I, and I know that's a, I know that's a stretch mm-hmm. by me saying that, but yeah, so I have to play like the devil's advocate there. But yeah, I agree with that in some, some cases, yeah. Do you think it's possible that just God screwed up, made a mistake? Well, it's highly possible. You I know, mean, and maybe he just keeps trying and trying and trying until he perfects his craft. I'll tell you what, at, the, at this point in my research, everything's on the table. 
Everything is clearly. And I'm just gonna be very honest with you. Um, like I said, I grew up as a fundamental, fundamentalist Christian. I grew up in a pastor's home for the most part. And even I had to let go of some things when I got into the data sample, cause you know, it's happening. I can't work my way around it. You know, it's happening. So, uh, I'm putting that on the table. I'm looking at it. Maybe our idea of God isn't what it should be. Maybe. You know what I mean? So that's where I'm at. Interesting. Well, that's pretty cool, though. You're, you're very open. You base it all on research. You interview a lot of people. You've obviously read a lot. Um, I mean, I mean it's, it's very apparent that, that you have dedicated your life and all your energy into this to find the truth. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And I know that uh, my work isn't perfect, my uh, but no one's really is. <laughs> my my thing is that uh, I'm I'm going as fast as I can forward, mm-hmm. trying to look at this the the only way that I know how to, and just be humble about it. You know, nobody's got all the answers. If they have all the answers, shoot, no more interviews. You know, no more research. <laughs> it's like, you know, I'm glad there are mysteries out there to, to, to pilgrimage for. Yeah. So. Yeah. If there was no more mysteries, that would be the end of this podcast. <laughs> I know. Right. Of course. <laughs> like, man, no more mysteries. Dang it. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, yeah, I mean, that's, that's what I'm doing. And, um, I mean, my God, there, there's so much that that's, that's here, uh, regarding apparitions and what they're doing, but, uh, I'm just, thank you so much for having me. Honestly. I know a lot of things are probably like word salad to most people or some, but a lot of these thoughts are uh, pretty, pretty um, difficult to articulate. I mean, my, it's like a whole new technology yeah. and vocabulary. One of the things that I really enjoy about interviewing you is that you, you don't mind me asking these really difficult questions. Yeah. You yeah. know, you, you don't, and, and when you don't know the answer, you're like, I don't know yet. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. You know, it, I, I've heard, of, I've seen some interviews, not with you, but with other like shows and stuff where people don't know the answer, man. I've seen them. I could pull out of thin air and just make stuff. And I'm like, I know that ain't right. You know, but uh, yeah. So if I don't know, I'll tell you, yeah. I'm not a God. All right, man. So, so before we wrap this up, where can my listeners find you? So you can find me on my website. It's njgillis.com. G I L L I S, and uh, that'll you can have on my website. I have a lot of my research is on there, um, all of my past shows, like where like where I was, my future shows. Um, you can also find me on Instagram as the Nathaniel J Gillis. You can find me on Facebook as the Nathaniel J Gillis, and uh, yeah, that's where I'm at. All right. So I will post a link to your website on the, uh, in the notes of this episode. And do you have any uh, any idea when the book's going to be out? I ask you this it's like the third time. I know, man. <laughs> I feel like an idiot, dude. I told somebody asked me that the other day. And I'm like, man, I had people that are pre-ordering it and have pre-ordered it. And I'm, I told them, I said, look, you know, it's uh, it's the research that I just came across. It's too much to n- not include it, you know, too mm-hmm. much to leave out but it's not enough to write a whole new book on. Um, I'm going to say by the end of this month, right. I've given myself a time limit. I mean, that's how bad it is because it's difficult. So um, yeah, once I get that out there though, I mean, we're going to, 
I'm hoping that it'll change the game because people, it's not one, it's one thing to find me on YouTube. It's another thing for them to have the literature in their hand where mm-hmm. they can highlight it and show somebody. That's what I'm really excited about. But yeah. uh, the book is called The Skin That Crawls. It's going to be awesome. So so when the book comes out too, just make sure you send me a link so I can I post it in the notes of all the episodes that we've done so far. Heck yeah, man. Oh my God. I'm, I'm excited. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be at... Two pair of cons this year, yeah. I think it, yeah, one's in Massachusetts and the other one's in Dallas. Mm-hmm. So I'll be on demonology panels there. Which, you know, a lot of my research is controversial, and that's okay. That is Sometimes it, you know, whatever it has to be, whatever it's just the data. So thank you so much for having me, man. It's always a pleasure. All right, thank you. Just hang on one second, and I'm just going to play the outro. Thank you for listening to Everything Imaginable on KGRA Radio. You can reach Gary at everythingimaginable2020.com or email him at everythingimaginable2020 at gmail.com. He's also on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. You can buy t-shirts, coffee mugs, and other merchandise to support the costs of producing this podcast. Click on the merchandise link at the top of his page www.everythingimaginable2020.com Oh yes, I almost forgot. You can buy his book, Enlightenment Guaranteed. It's the only book on Zen that you'll ever need, and it's on Amazon. It'll change your life, because remember, everything that exists was first imagined. Hey, if you loved what you listened to, don't forget, rate, review, and subscribe.